Welcome everyone to the fantasy and betting podcast presented by the 33rd team. I have been your host in the past, Josh Larkey, but today I will be playing analyst because later today, my top 160 rankings for fantasy will be hitting the site and we're going to talk about those today. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the torch over to my co-host Ryan Reynolds at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. Ryan, let's, let's, let's do this. All right, Josh, we're going to jump right into the top pick overall this year. Consensus has Jeff- Justin Jefferson at 1.01. That's perfectly reasonable. You have Chase- Jamar Chase ahead of Justin Jefferson. This is at least partially on me and Liam Murphy. Months ago when best ball was starting to kick off, I was debating taking Chase a little bit first overall. I saw Liam do it in a draft. I started doing it more often. So he has the highest potential spike week value in- at any player that's not a quarterback in the league, I'd say. So. That was a driving factor behind my decision. So for you, why do you have Jamar Chase ahead of Justin Jefferson? I, I think it's good that we tackle this early on because a lot of people are like, why do you have a hot take in your rankings at the very start? I remember last year I had Christian McCaffrey, number one, Jonathan Taylor, number two. People did not like that. And I think it's always important to think critically with the first pick. So when you and Liam said, hey, I'm starting to lean Chase, I was like, I will dive into this. And here's what I found. Jamar Chase was better than Justin Jefferson when they both played at LSU in college. Justin Jefferson was taken later in the draft than Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase outproduced Justin Jefferson as a rookie in both receiving yards and fantasy points. Chase had more fantasy points per game last year, over 20, than Jefferson did in his second season, even though Chase dealt with a hip fracture midseason. Last year, Chase had more targets per game than Jefferson. Chase is faster with big playability. The Bengals should be higher scoring than the Vikings. Chase mainly has T. Higgins as tough target competition. Jefferson has tight end TJ Hawkinson, who had basically the same target profile as Travis Kelsey last year once Hawkinson went to the Vikings. And then there's round one rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison that is now on the Vikings. If you're drafting a lot of teams, you should take Justin Jefferson 101 to make sure you get some exposure to him at times. Cycle between Jefferson and Chase. But let's say that I'm in two leagues and I have pick one and pick eight. I would take Jamar Chase with pick one in that league. I love it, Josh. You can follow Josh at Jay Larky Tweets. I'll also tack this on it real quick. Justin Jefferson was the offensive player of the year last year. He's second in the betting markets. Jamar Chase is the favorite. Question number two for you, Josh. Christian McCaffrey is the other players drafters will consider taking first overall. Brock Purdy looks like the 49ers quarterback going into opening day. Looks like his elbow situation's fine. That's good for McCaffrey because Purdy's more of a pocket passer than Trey Lance. What's your outlook on McCaffrey for this season? So with, with San Francisco last year, he joined the team in week seven, and he averaged over 14 carries per game. That's pretty good. Pretty, that's, a, that's a nice rushing role in what's consistently one of the league's most efficient rushing offenses. But what's more important is we turn to the pass game. And from week seven onward, when he joined the team, Brandon Ayuk led the team with a 23% target share. Debo Samuel was next to him at 21%. George Kittle was at 19%. And rounding out the big four, Christian McCaffrey was actually just behind Debo and just ahead of Kittle with a 20% target share, which was the highest among all running backs in the NFL. So you're basically getting a borderline Ayuk Debo Kittle in the receiving game for target volume. McCaffrey was efficient. He was targeted on 29% of his routes, by far the highest of all 49ers last year. His yards per route run was over two. It was actually ahead of Debo and Kittle 
last year. With Christian McCaffrey, you get a strong rushing role with the best receiving role in the entire NFL for running backs on a high-scoring offense. He should be everyone's fantasy RB1 for 2023. Follow Josh. Jay Larky tweets on Twitter. He'll have his full rankings up later on the site. He'll have a cheat sheet out there for you all, too. Now, Josh, few analysts get the conversation we're about to have here because we work at the mm-hmm. same company as a first-round pick in fantasy drafts this year. You interviewed Amon Ross St. Brown last year. I bet on him to win the Offensive Player of the Year this year because he could realistically lead the league in receptions. He's a number one wide receiver on his team by a larger margin than any other premium wide receiver, at least until Jamison Williams eventually returns. He plays for a contending Lions team in the NFC, so his team success is a factor there. And as we mentioned, I might not ever get a chance to – bet on a co-worker in, a mar- in an awards market again. So I'm going with the sun god. Sun god. Why are you targeting the sun god, Amon Ross St. Brown, in fantasy drafts this year, Josh? So he's played 20 games from week 13, 2021 onward, where his snap share was at least 50%. So I, I basically removed a couple games where he got injured very early because I just want to see when he's healthy, what should we expect? Because anytime you draft a player in round one of fantasy, we should probably expect them to stay healthy. If we're like, oh, I'm drafting this guy for his nine healthy games, hey, I probably wouldn't take him first round if that's what you expect. So in those games, he averaged 20 and a half fantasy points per game. That would have ranked third last year behind only Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. This 20-game sample, he averaged over 10 targets per game, nearly eight catches a game, 85 receiving yards a game. Without even factoring that he scores touchdowns, that's over 16 fantasy points a game. 16 fantasy points game in PPR leagues is a low-end wide receiver one each season. Here's where it gets really interesting, though. The Lions did pass the 10th most in the NFL last year. However, they ran the ball 480 times. So their actual pass rate of 55% was at least two percentage points lower than every single team in the top 15 for pass attempts. There's actually some meat on the bone there for the Lions' pass rate to go up without really changing all that much. And you can almost call this like positive regression almost. So I I think with, with Amon Ra, what what we've already seen is first round caliber pick in fantasy football. And there's a chance that he actually gives us like the close to the Cooper cup season from two years ago, where he is the highest volume slot receiver in the league. Decent after the catch playing on a great offense. Uh, when when it gets to the the end of the first round in fantasy drafts, you can quote unquote reach, and I would just take Amon Ross St. Brown. You'll see on my cheat sheet coming out later today. I have him as the tenth best player in fantasy football with the nice little target symbol next to his name. I like him too. I'm taking him in the first round too, seeing what I get in the second round coming back when I have a pick near the turn. Next up, Josh, you're a Chargers fan. Austin Eckler has been a fantasy stud for years, a league winner. New offensive coordinator Kellen Moore's in town. Changes to the offense. Eckler's going in the top five in some home leagues right now. Why are you fading Eckler at cost currently? Yeah, so I have Austin Eckler just right next to Amon Ross St. Brown. Behind Amon Ross St. Brown. Eckler probably gets, what, like 200 carries. He's done that the past two years. Cool. We got 200 carries. He's always been this great pass catcher, but actually that's where I'm kind of concerned. I struggle to see how the pass catching group of Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnston, Josh Palmer, Gerald Everett allows Eckler anywhere near the the NFL high 127 targets, 107 receptions from last year. In 2021, Eckler had 20 touchdowns. 
2022, Eckler had 18. Those 38 touchdowns are 12 more than any other running back the past two years. And again, he's a 200-pound back. We should probably not always expect him to essentially lead the NFL in total touchdowns at the position. 2021, Eckler had 70 catches. The the offense was pretty healthy for the skill players. And I kind of think that's the ceiling this year, being that they've now add, added round one rookie, Quentin Johnston. He's a high-volume pass-catching running back on one of the league's best offenses. I think he's a late first-round pick. But I'm, I'm kind of fading him when I realize that most people want him in those top five picks. If he's going to get 50 fewer carries than McCaffrey and most likely see fewer targets than McCaffrey, and he's 28 years old, then I'm probably not going to take this guy in the first round of fantasy drafts. Yeah, I think that's what it boils down to. You know, we both like Austin Eckler as a player. There's just a few guys that we'd prefer ahead of him in fantasy drafts. Next up, Josh, another running back, Nick Chubb. Chubb is, Chubb is arguably the best pure runner in the league. Our department will have our own offensive de- defensive line rankings out soon. Right now we have the Browns ranked first. Bill Callahan has been a difference-making offensive line coach in the league for a long time. Cleveland has a rock-solid offensive tackle duo, one of the best guard duos in the league. You know, and th- For the first time in a while here, Josh, the running back room's a little thin behind Nick Chubb. Why are you targeting him in fantasy drafts? Yeah, Chubb's never been a player I've been super interested in in fantasy because I was always like, guys, he's kind of capped at like the RB6 because Kareem Hunt is there. And sure enough, he was always kind of capped in that range. But suddenly Kareem Hunt's gone. If we go back to 2019 before Kareem Hunt joined the team halfway through the season, the first half of the season, Nick Chubb paced for 53 receptions. The past four years, Chubb averaged over five yards carry each season at least 89 rushing yards per game throughout those four seasons. And if you look at that four-year stretch, his 17-game average has been 293 carries for over 1,500 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns. If you add a sprinkle of a little bit of Kareem Hunt's receiving role, we don't even need Chubb to hit the 50 receptions. You just give him 35 to 40. He can definitely be the overall RB1 in fantasy football where he has... 15, 1,600 rushing yards, 40 catches for 350 yards, 15 total touchdowns. I that, that that can kind of sneak in there, and suddenly you're like, wow, Nick Chubb just hit 21 fantasy points a game and is the overall RB1, and I took him at the end of the first round. Next up, Josh, you have Jalen Waddle ranked ahead of Devontae Adams. Why? Well, Jalen Waddle... He did set the rookie receptions record with 104 in 2021. He was he was kind of used like Amon Ross St. Brown. A ton of target volume, close to the line of scrimmage. The team brings in Tyreek Hill last year, and then they say to Waddle, why don't you try being a deep threat? You, were, you kind of did that in college. Let, let's see how that works for you. So he said, okay, uh, he only catches 75 passes, not 104. But his yardage goes way up, and he has nearly 1,400 receiving yards. He catches eight touchdowns. His floor is basically low-end wide receiver one in fantasy like last year. The ceiling is the the overall wide receiver one if the 29-year-old Tyreek Hill ever misses games. Devontae Adams will play with the worst quarterback of his life in Jimmy Garoppolo. Adams turns 31 towards the end of the season. This is an age. Uh, he's been in the league for about 10 years. His age and experience combination is often where players start to show decline. I don't expect Devontae Adams to hit some cliff and you're like, whoa, he had 800 yards. But... I, I see enough warning signs there to think that high-end wide receiver one just might not be in the cards for him anymore. 
He reportedly no. wants out of uh, go for it. No, 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 go ahead. All right, we'll keep going. Well, there's there's more concerns because he reportedly wants out of Las Vegas. Going from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr was a steep downgrade last year. Adams' catch rate was above 72% in 2020 and 2021 with Rodgers. And then it dropped to 55% with Derek Carr last year. But fortunately, Derek Carr was force-feeding him a career-high 180 targets. I don't really see Las Vegas letting Garoppolo drop back that many times. Garoppolo has a long injury history, and that was with the 49ers. Las Vegas has a subpar offensive line. I'm actually more concerned. Garoppolo's at a heightened injury risk now. I think Adams at this point is getting squeezed by quarterback play. The overall team offense is pretty bad. The overall team situation is not great. And he's about to turn 31 years old. Yeah, we've been betting against the Raiders in a variety of ways this offseason. One of the reasons for that is they have a difficult schedule on top of everything, too. And, you know, another thing I'll throw in is Devontae Adams got to play with Aaron Rodgers for most of his career. Then he went to Vegas in part because he played college football with Derek Carr. And now Jimmy Garoppolo, at absolute best, is a sideways <laughs> move from Derek Carr. But I think we both view that as maybe even a considerable downgrade, considering that Brock Purdy just lit the league up coming off the bench as the last overall pick in the draft last year. Now, let's take a break from the player stances for a bit. Roster construction is very important in fantasy football. We talk about this a lot. You know, who you take in your first three rounds generally dictates how you're going to build your whole team. We've both done an unthinkable amount of drafts this year, Josh, in part to take all of our experience and research so we can hand off the most important stances and strategies to our audience. So what's your preferred way to build your roster this offseason? This will upset some of the boomers out there, but my preferred way is two to three receivers through three rounds. Sometimes I'll have a running back like Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley on my team with two wide receivers early. But what I've found is that if I have fewer than two, if I have zero or one receivers through three rounds, I feel like I'm playing catch up at the position and I just can't catch up. When my rankings and cheat sheet come out later today, you'll see the running backs, quarterbacks, and tight ends that I'm targeting after the first three rounds. There's a lot of great ways to fill out a team that looks strong everywhere. And that almost always begins with early receiver. If I have one or two running backs, especially like two running backs through the first three rounds, it gets very, very tough. So what I'd say is to the people out there that are like, Josh, I am required to take two running backs early to fill out RB1 and RB2 on my roster. I have to do it. My, my rule would be don't take more than two running backs in your first five rounds. I know that's going to be tough for some of you out there who like to start RB times three, but if you just, if you, if you take the leap of faith and you keep no more than two running backs on your roster through five rounds, I think you're going to find that not hoarding the position with the most injury concerns and then avoiding a wide receiver position that is so top heavy and each year becomes increasingly higher scoring compared to a lot of the running backs. I think you'll find you like your team better if you stop at two running backs through five rounds. Yeah, I'm with you on that, especially your your point about taking two within the first three rounds. I know I tend to dislike my teams when I go running back heavy early this year. Now, Josh, let's talk some quarterbacks here for a second. Your top three quarterbacks are Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. They're all consistently going within the first 30 picks and drafts right now. Why do you have them ranked the way that you do? So I, I kind of agree with the the market. I think those should be the the first three. They have kind of the highest combination of the the high ceiling and the high floor. Now I, I have Jalen Hurts first. He had the most fantasy points through three quarters 
out of all quarterbacks. And you might be like, what the, what the hell? What, what? Sorry. Say that again. <laughs> Jalen hurts had 21 fantasy points a game through the third quarter last year. That paces him for 28 fantasy points a game, which would have tied Lamar Jackson's fantasy points record from 2019. Essentially the, the Eagles had an easy schedule and Jalen hurts got to relax in the fourth quarter. Schedule is a little harder this year. I, I don't think he runs for 13 touchdowns like last year, but he could. And again, uh, what we should see in the fourth quarter will will probably balance that out in many ways. Elite offensive line in Philadelphia, great playmaker surrounding him with A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, DeAndre Swift, and Rashad Penny now in the backfield. Jalen Hurts is mobile, much more so actually than Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. As I mentioned before, Jalen Hurts, threat at the goal line, 13 rushing touchdowns, one away from the quarterback record last year. Now, Josh Allen, I have number two. He's been above 24 fantasy point game each past three years. No quarterback can do that or has done that. He's a top five runner and a top five passer at the quarterback position. And I think he's the only one that kind of is top five in both categories. And then Patrick Mahomes has averaged more than 300 passing yards and more than two passing touchdowns per game throughout his career. Can you imagine just being spoon-fed 300 passing yards and two touchdowns as kind of like a, a floor most weeks? Well, that's Patrick Mahomes. He can finish quarterback one overall any year based on the yards and touchdown passes. And he's actually this sneaky rusher. He's over 300 rushing yards each of the past three seasons. Follow Jay Larky tweets on Twitter. Another quarterback question, Josh, is an important one. Justin Herbert, Los Angeles Chargers quarterback, top 10 offensive line, top 10 skill group, live to lead the league in passing yards and or passing touchdowns. Joe Burrow, at least a borderline top 10 offensive line, probably the best wide receiver group in the league, also drawing live to lead the league in passing yards or touchdowns. Why do you have Justin Herbert ranked ahead of Joe Burrow, Josh? So the past two years, the Bengals have been 20th in 2021 and 7th in 2022 in pass attempts per game. The Chargers were not 20th and 7th. They were 3rd and 2nd the past two years. Justin Herbert played at the 4th fastest pace last year among all quarterbacks. New offensive coordinator Kellen Moore comes from Dallas. Dallas had the 4th and 1st best scoring offenses the past two years. And... Of the three quarterbacks that played at a faster pace than Justin Herbert last year, one of them was Dak Prescott. Again, Kellen Moore was his offensive coordinator last year. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams got injured last year. Superstar left tackle Rashawn Slater went down in week three with a season-ending injury. Justin Herbert had his rib cartilage injury early in the season that affected him all year. And then you look at the end of the season, the leading target earners in Los Angeles were running back Austin Eckler, and then third receiver, Josh Palmer. When that happens, you should expect the quarterback to struggle and to have a more conservative game plan, and that's what we saw. Justin Herbert's average throw depth was lower than every starting quarterback not named Matt Ryan or Daniel Jones. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott had the eighth highest throw depth. So if you are telling me that Justin Herbert should probably have a healthier receiving core, should play at a super fast pace, quite possibly leads the NFL in pass attempts and is throwing the ball downfield. Well, I like Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow then. Herbert's going to have a deeper group of receiving weapons than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has the cap strain, so Herbert's going to run more. 
talking strictly fantasy points per game because people always like that. Well, Herbert's rookie year and his year two, he averaged more fantasy points per game than Burrow's career high from last season. I expect Justin Herbert in 2023 to outscore Joe Burrow in fantasy points per game for the third time in four seasons. One more quarterback question, Josh, before we change gears here. I think this is Joe Burrow's year. I think he's going to end as the league's MVP. His calf injury makes that a little bit cloudier than I originally anticipated, but I'm still trending in that direction. Like I said with Jamar Chase, I prefer Burrow in tournaments because his one-week upside, I think, is greater than just about anyone. If you were going to pick one quarterback in the league to throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns in a game, I think Burrow's the guy there. That said, for season long where I want more stability, I would lean Herbert over Burrow myself. Now, with that said, Deshaun Watson's one of my highest exposure quarterbacks this year. I like I like diving into uncertainty where you can find margin, you can make difference-making difference winning decisions in those kind of situations if Deshaun Watson returns to form you have a, you have something on your hands there that said I can't believe you have him ranked ahead of Joe Burrow why are you doing this yeah I I've heard the riots are starting they they do not like this Let, let's talk about Deshaun Watson and let's let's first just establish that we want upside at our quarterback position when you're in a 12 team league you do not want to have the quarterback 10 in fantasy or 11 or 12 My fear is Joe Burrow might end up finishing as like the QB nine QB 10 in fantasy points per game. I don't want to be one of the worst scorers at quarterback in my league. If we look at Deshaun Watson, he averaged more than 22 fantasy points a game in his first four years in the league. Joe Burrow has never reached 22 fantasy points per game in any season. Deshaun Watson actually ran for a career high six rush attempts a game last year in his limited action. He was really rusty. We should have expected that as a passer. He took almost two years off from NFL action due to suspension. That six-game sample at the end of last year had bad weather throughout a lot of those games, and he couldn't even practice with the team for most of the season due to the suspension. What I'd rather trust, rather than that six-game sample, is the four-year track record of Watson being an elite fantasy quarterback. The Browns give him the best offensive line of his career, and he'll have the deepest group of skill players surrounding him of his career. I think he returns to 22 to 23 fantasy points a game and outscores Joe Burrow by a comfortable margin in 2023. My best ball portfolio certainly hopes you're right, Josh. Now, (laughs) Me too. (laughs) This week, we recorded two podcasts on record predictions. We did one on the NFC on Monday. We did one on the AFC yesterday. I have the Bengals and Chargers both at 11 and 6. So even from a team success standpoint, I have Justin Herbert's operation and Joe Burrow similar. I have Deshaun Watson's a little lower at nine and eight, but still we're all, we're talking about playoff teams here. Another quick break from player stances here, Josh roster construction is important. As we mentioned before, we just discussed the top three quarterbacks in fantasy this year and five of the consensus top seven taking a quarterback in the early rounds means that you have stability at the position, but it also means you have to fill one or more positions with a less certain player later on in the draft. Is that your preference? First, just want to mention that Ryan is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. And what he humbly didn't mention is that all those win-loss predictions were his. All those articles are on the33rdteam.com, division by division. So if you're a betting person or if you just want to understand the landscape of the NFL better and how he views these teams, he watches every snap of every game for more than the past half decade. There, There's really no one like Ryan for that. Now, if we turn to your question about like, Oh, do I, do I prefer early quarterback, late quarterback? 
I actually don't have a preference. When I construct my rosters, here, here's how I think about it. I'm probably going to have one of quarterback, RB2, or tight end be a weak point. And I'm okay with that. If my entire roster everywhere else is really strong, then I'm perfectly content with someone like Geno Smith or Tua Tagovailoa as my quarterback one. If I, I take a quarterback early and I'm like, oh, I'm taking Jalen Hurts in round three, then I'm probably going to have a weak running back two or a weak tight end. And I'm okay with that. I, I actually don't really have a, a preference there. I think you let the board fall to you. You can use my cheat sheet and kind of see how players fall and ultimately just make sure that you're, you have a strong flex and a strong wide receiver two and or wide receiver three, depending on your scoring system. So yeah, again, quarterback, running back two, tight end. That is the place where one of those positions is weak and you go, you know what? I'm okay with that. We'll work on it on the waiver wire. And I know that I'm dominating my opponents in almost every other position group. I have a confession to make, Josh. I've drafted over 500 best ball teams this year. Montgomery, <laughs> Montgomery is my second highest exposure running back to this point. We'll have the Lions as our second ranked offensive line when that releases soon. I love David Montgomery. You love David Montgomery. Tell us while you're all in on him. I, I love fantasy football for many reasons. One of them is that it gives you a chance year after year to tout different players. I've never been a big David Montgomery fan until this season when right. suddenly he goes four rounds later than he ever has before. Yeah. And the situation's awesome. So let, let's dive into Montgomery and this awesome situation. He's had at least 15 touches a game all four years in the NFL, at least 13 games played every season. He's pretty durable above 300 receiving yards. Each of the past three years, that number could be 400 when he's playing with the stationary Jared Goff, at quarterback, the lions have the elite offensive line that he never had in Chicago. It's a high scoring offense. He's never seen anything like it with the offenses he played in, in Chicago. David Montgomery's got 25 pounds on rookie running back, Jameer Gibbs. I'm going to think of Jameer Gibbs kind of like Alvin Kamara and David Montgomery, kind of like Mark Ingram from those Saints years. And you know what? Mark Ingram was off in a fantasy RB1. Montgomery's probably in line for 12 to 15 carries and two to four targets per game. He should have double digit touchdowns. I think of him as an every week fantasy RB2. And if something happens to Gibbs, we already saw David Montgomery be an absolute league winner with the Bears in 2022. The final six games of that season, he had over 20 fantasy points in all of them. He averaged more than 25 fantasy points a game during that span. Montgomery's floor is fantasy RB2. Anything happens to Gibbs, you now have yourself a top five fantasy running back at the position. I am finally in year five in on the guy that's guaranteed more than $10 million. Let, let's draft us some David Montgomery as a Detroit Lion in fantasy football. Follow Jay Larkey tweets. You know, you mentioned Alvin Kamara when you were talking about David Montgomery. One of the things I noticed in your rankings is you're pretty, you're pretty higher, pretty higher than consensus on him. Um, we shouldn't really worry too much about the three game suspension, especially since it's early in the year. The the money we the money winning weeks later in the year, he'll be active as long as he doesn't get hurt. And the other thing here, Josh, and I haven't stopped talking about this for months. The Saints have yes. the easiest schedule in the league. Alvin Kamara has smash spots all over the schedule. He's definitely still going to be the on top of the food chain there in the Saints backfield. Check out Josh's rankings when they release later today to see where he has Alvin Kamara. Now, Josh, 
you hate Debo Samuel. I thought you hated Alexander Madison the most, but after looking <laughs> at your rankings, Debo Samuel is clearly your least favorite player in the NFL. You have Hollywood Brown ranked 54th versus Debo's 48th. I've always loved Hollywood as a player, loved him in Oklahoma. I mentioned this on a recent podcast. I was hoping the Packers would take him because I would love to see what Aaron Rodgers could do with a guy like this. Now, I have two questions for you related to him this year. Do you not fear the combination of Colt McCoy and Clayton Thune? Because I certainly do. And that said, with that in mind, Josh, why are you still so high on Hollywood Brown? It's a great question. The, the quarterback play should be atrocious early in the season. Now, the, the upside for Hollywood Brown is that he averaged nearly 11 targets, more than seven catches, over 80 yards, and scored a touchdown every other week in those first six games of 2022. Then he gets injured. Then Hopkins returns from suspension. Well, if we just look at his 18 and a half fantasy points a game he averaged in that stretch, that would have been the wide receiver seven last year if he kept that pace up. Sure, that was with Kyler Murray. That was with no DeAndre Hopkins due to suspension. But what I see at the end of this season is Kyler Murray returning. And DeAndre Hopkins is not on the team. He's a Tennessee Titan. So all the conditions start to set up for a similar smash performance. Like Alvin Kamara, the weeks that matter most at the end of the season. Hollywood Brown will deliver. Arizona has a bad defense. They're going to throw a lot each week. Marquise Brown's the clear-cut wide receiver one. He's probably going to have an outrageous target share with Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon. That's one thing we often see with the bad quarterbacks is they they process the game slower. They lock onto their top option more often. The target share is often extremely high for the wide receiver one when the quarterback's bad. I actually think of Marquise Brown like last year's Michael Pittman early in the season. Michael Pittman had a 26% target share on this horribly inefficient Colts pass offense, but the Colts were trailing a lot and they did pass a lot. And Michael Pittman was a low-end wide receiver two in fantasy per game. That's not that exciting, but you can start him each week. And I think that's what you get with Marquise Brown. You, you just start him each week and you go, you know what? He's doing just enough to be my wide receiver two or wide receiver three. And then he becomes a fantasy wide receiver one type with league winning potential when Kyler Murray returns midseason and through the fantasy playoffs. Um, as I mentioned before, Josh, I'm big on leaning into situa- uncertain situations when there's a lo- logical reason to do so. Those are the spots you can find difference makers. You love rookies. You wrote an article about how rookie wide receivers are a cheat code in fantasy football earlier this offseason. There's three of them in a row that you're targeting. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnston. Why do you want all those guys? Yeah, yeah, I would recommend everyone read that article to see just how backloaded rookie wide receiver fantasy production is where you don't always start them earlier in the season, but when those weeks matter, again, when you're drafting a bench player, you want them to have a real case to just force themselves into the starting lineup. Rookie receivers each year just get better and better and better and better as the season goes on, as their roles grow. With Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's a slot receiver in last year's ninth best scoring offense. He's going to see some pretty soft coverage. You've got DK Metcalf on one side, Tyler Lockett on the other side, out wide, committing attention. And I think Jackson Smith and Jigba could very easily surpass the soon-to-be 31-year-old Tyler Lockett by midseason for a second on the team and targets. And I, I like slot receivers and great offenses. With Jordan Addison, if we look at Adam Thielen last year, who's in his 30s, he's on the decline. He still saw almost 110 targets. And I think those all go to the younger, more dynamic Addison. 
He's never seeing the opponent's top cornerback, given that he plays with Justin Jefferson. TJ Hawkinson actually, he's really good. He requires defensive attention. Addison's in a pretty good spot. It's a high pass volume offense. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. And defenses are going to be forced to key in and often double team Jefferson. And they're also going to be forced to key in on TJ Hawkinson. Quentin Johnston of the Los Angeles Chargers. He operates downfield. He makes defenders miss after the catch. That's a combination that scores fantasy points. He's going to play in the highest pass volume offense in the league with Justin Herbert's cannon of an arm. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They're both very good players. They also both have long injury histories. Allen's 31. Mike Williams is 29. They could get injured. Uh, I would actually expect one of them to get injured at some point this year. Quentin Johnston is a very good player with round one draft capital. He was taken just one pick after Jackson Smith and Jigba. I want all three of these receivers in fantasy football. And I'd say that as a general rule, try to get one of those three on most of your fantasy teams, because I'd be shocked, absolutely shocked. If at least one of those three does not pop by mid season and fantasy football and give you top 24 numbers. Agreed there, pal. If you're not watching this show live on Twitter, all these podcast episodes can be found on the 3013 Podcast Network. We have a feed on both Apple and Spotify. Like, subscribe, give us five stars. Help us keep this content free for you guys. Now, Josh, early on in the process, we were loading up on Sky Moore. He's been getting steamed big time over the last several weeks. You're still a little bit higher than consensus on him. Is there something more to this than Patrick Mahomes is an alien and we want to get shares of this offense? I'll I'll keep it quick. Last year, Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot had 78 catches and 933 receiving yards. Fantasy, a little bit of a disappointment, but hey, he only scored three touchdowns. I do not expect Chiefs starting receivers to always score three or fewer touchdowns. I think Sky Moore is better. He had a higher target rate last year at a higher depth of target on average than Juju. So if he's commanding more targets per route further down the field, that, that shows some upside. I think 80 catches... A thousand yards, seven touchdowns is in the range of outcomes for what will be the Chiefs' starting slot receiver in 2023. And for people that say, well, he sucked as a rookie, he was at Western Michigan. He played there for only three years, actually two and a half because of the COVID season. It's rare for a guy to only play two and a half years at a smaller school like that and then be a second round draft pick in the NFL. Seems like he probably had some hard times adjusting to the Chiefs' complicated offensive system as a rookie which I think ultimately we probably should have expected. I think I was a year early on him. And rather than being like, oh, bad rookie season, I refuse to look at anything else. I'm out. I simply say the situation's great. The player's still highly highly talented. He's in no way in the doghouse. He caught a touchdown for Pete's sake in the the Super Bowl. I'm very in on Sky Moore as one of the last viable receivers that you can see starting him every single week in fantasy football. One thing I'll add on here is I faded Skymore outright last year. I have gone the other direction this year. One thing I noticed during the season is when Skymore played, Patrick Mahomes is willing to target him in big situations, not just a touchdown, third and eight, third and 12, tight windows. Patrick Mahomes has some faith in Skymore, so I'm a little bullish on him too. Now, Josh, as we already, as we already said, you hate Alexander Madison. You hate Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. You also hate James Cook. Why is that? Yeah, I, I got to hate the guy, right? I mean, that's just what people say. You're like, oh, do you hate him as a person? No, I don't actually hate him as a person. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about James Cook being allergic to scoring fantasy points. People hate that he's allergic to scoring fantasy points. They wish he was allergic to peanuts. Unfortunately, that was not in the cards. 
First off, Josh Allen at quarterback is bad for fantasy running backs. That's what everyone says, and I agree. Josh Allen's really mobile. He scrambles instead of checking the ball down to running backs. When he gets to the goal line, he vultures rushing touchdowns. Oof. Fantasy running backs usually score through targets and touchdowns. James Cook never topped 45 carries or 16 receptions in a season through his first three years of college. James Cook had to be a senior when he's older than, than all of his competition. And then he quote unquote broke out with 113 carries and 27 <laughs> receptions. Even still that receiving role at Georgia with his 27 receptions was the same per game as his backfield running back mate, Kenny McIntosh. If that name sounds familiar, yes, the Seattle Seahawks took Kenny McIntosh this year in round seven of the draft. Kenny McIntosh was younger than James Cook at the time with a like pretty much the exact same receiving role per game. I am not convinced James Cook is this uh, excellent receiver. And last year, his target share was under 6%. He never overtook Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary's not good. If Devin Singletary were good, the Bills would have brought him back. And you're like, well, Josh, the Texans swiped him. The Texans signed Devin Singletary to a one-year deal for under $3 million. I am pretty sure if the Bills wanted Singletary back and they thought he was good, they would have offered him more than one year, $2.75 million. I'm expecting Damian Harris and Latavius Murray to handle the goal line carries for this Bills team. James Cook's between 195 to 200 pounds. He's never handled high rushing volume. He's never commanded a lot of targets either. And I don't know why people expect to start him every single week in fantasy football. Follow Josh at Larky tweets on Twitter. Now, Josh, in the mid to late rounds, you should reserve some roster spots for certain needs and certain player archetypes. You wrote a, you write articles on player archetypes, actually, that everyone should check out on the site. Let's go through some of those situations. First up, it's round eight and you don't have a tight end yet. Who do you have your sights set on? So at this stage, uh, one of my favorite targets has become Pat Fryermuth, a guy I faded last year. I hated the idea of rookie quarterback, Kenny Pickett, Deontay Johnson, and George Pickens in the offense. I didn't see how Fryermuth would deliver. And you know what? He didn't quite deliver because he only scored two touchdowns, as expected. Bad offense. But I was wrong in terms of the target earning profile. As a rookie, he had seven touchdowns, and he didn't command targets. But last year, he only had two touchdowns, but he actually commanded a lot of targets. And I was like, oh, that's pretty impressive. He's now on my radar. I don't think he'll score two touchdowns again this next year. The Steelers' offense should be a lot better. You and I have both written quite extensively about how the offensive line will be better. Kenny Pickett's going to take a step forward in year two. Najee sure, Harris yeah. will be healthier. A lot yeah. going right for this team. And if we look last year at yards per out run, Pat Fryermuth was much higher than both Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. If you look at targets per route run, Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth were the clear top two. And then 50% lower was George Pickens. It's hard to find a tight end that late. Who's the clear number two on his offense for targets is used in the red zone. He actually had more red zone targets last year than George Pickens, believe it or not. I, I think Pat Fryermuth is pretty in line to finish as like the, the tight end five or six in fantasy, giving you just enough fantasy points that he actually makes a difference for your team each week. 
Agreed on Fryermuth. I've always been a Fryermuth guy. This is actually one of my preferred ways to draft a team. I like waiting on tight end. In that scenario, Fryermuth's my target, top target too. Two other targets you have in this general range that I'm aligned with you on too. Tyler Higby, especially in PPR leagues, I think he has a very strong floor. As long as Matthew Stafford's the Rams quarterback, he's capable of, you know, slate-breaking upside on occasion too. The other guy that I think is very interesting, and, you know, you have him as a target in your on your cheat sheet, Dalton Kincaid with Buffalo. I think this is going to work a little bit more like wide receivers do than tight ends where you like taking wide receivers because they peak late when, you know, money-making season fantasy happens. I could see that being the case for Dalton Kincaid. I'm not crazy overweight on him in best ball, but in the season-long league, I would love to be able to pair Higby and Kincaid in a lot of scenarios. Now, another thing that all of us should be serving – conserving at least one roster spot for is at least one premium handcuff ideally more if you can fit him in there i'd call a premium handcuff like let's say david montgomery doesn't count he's gonna have a significant role on his own even if he's not you know taking the first snap every week same thing for dalvin cook with the jets dalvin cook even when Brees hall is you know up and operating at a fully functional capacity you're still talking 35 plus percent of the opportunities for dalvin cook that said a premium handcuff can have some standalone value, but they're the clear number two option in the in the running back room. Who's your favorite premium handcuff this year, Josh? Yeah, we, we define premium handcuff pretty similarly. The one thing I'll add to the definition is I think of them as they are one injury away from 15 or more fantasy points a game. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I think that's Zach Charbonnet of the Seattle Seahawks. Taken round two by Seattle, this recent draft, 220 pounds, so he handles high volume if needed. He's a solid pass catcher. It's a great offensive environment. The O-line is pretty solid. They had two rookies at offensive tackle last year who both performed admirably. This unit likely takes a step forward. And I'd actually argue that Zach Charbonnet without Kenneth Walker, if he went down due to injury, I'd argue Zach Charbonnet has a higher ceiling than Kenneth Walker if Charbonnet went down due to injury, purely because Charbonnet is a better pass catcher. So even though I think we both agree that Kenneth Walker is probably the better running back, I, I think for fantasy football specifically, I can actually see Zach Charbonnet getting like 16, 17 carries a game with three to five targets a game if Walker went down. So in, in that way, he fits the the bill for the, the most premium handcuff out there. And I'm targeting him once we hit the triple digits of fantasy drafts. All right, moving on here. We're past round eight. You have one running back or less on your roster. You have a pick in the 90 to 105 range. Who's the running back you're hoping is still there? So I've got two guys for you. That way you don't have to panic and feel like you only have one. Or maybe you even just take both. Those names are Samaj P. Ryan and Jamal Williams. Both are going to be fantasy RB2s, maybe even better for September. Plug and play them in week one. P. Ryan especially. I think there's a real chance Samaj P. Ryan's just fantasy relevant all season. Javante, through his first two NFL seasons, averaged 12 carries a game and 19 receiving yards a game in both seasons. He was also a committee back at North Carolina with the now Jets third string running back, Michael Carter. He was always the 1A. Could never quite overtake Michael Carter. Now Javante Williams is coming off an ACL and LCL compound tear. And I expect, if anything, Javante's workload's probably going to be a little lighter than what he's seen in past NFL seasons. There's a lot of room for Samaj P. Ryan touches in that backfield. And with Jamal Williams for at least the first three games while Alvin Kamara is suspended, he should be the bell cow. 
Rookie running back Kendry Miller is exciting, but he, he's, he strained his knee during training camp. He's coming along slowly. He apparently had issues with conditioning and maturity early in camp. And I just don't think it's going to be Miller's time those first three weeks. The Saints should win the division, as you mentioned, due to uh, a competent enough roster plus schedule. Why would you turn those first three weeks over to the, the rookie? It's going to be the veteran Jamal Williams. So I think right there, those are two great options. If you go, oh, I really need some early running back production in round eight, nine, or 10. And that same general range in drafts, Josh, there's some pretty good mid to late round quarterback options. Which one's your favorite out of that group? We'll keep this short. I mentioned his name earlier. This quarterback was 10th in passing yards per game, 6th in passing touchdowns per game, 8th in rushing yards per game, and 8th in fantasy points per game. He's the consensus QB 15 in fantasy drafts. I have him a lot higher. And that player is Geno Smith. Uh, fair enough. Uh, you're not worried at all that Geno Smith's going to regress a little bit after that Cinderella season he had last year? Oh, could he regress? Certainly. I, I wouldn't shock me if he regresses. I also don't think we should be drafting players, assuming the worst case outcome. And I think there's a good chance he doesn't regress. And if you're like, well, I think they, they fizzled down the stretch. Well, good news. Uh, round one rookie receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba is now on the team. Zach Charbonnet is now in the backfield. So if Kenneth Walker goes down with an injury, they have another reliable running back in there. Like we mentioned earlier, the offensive line probably takes a step forward. It's a young unit. There's actually things working in Geno's favor this year to kind of counteract potential regression after his career season at age 31. Great to hear, Josh, especially considering that we were betting on, we're, you know, we've been Seahawks bulls since February when certain yes. betting markets first opened. So <laughs> that's good to hear, Josh. Now, here's another, here's another roster spot. We should all be taking a stash upside wide receiver, a breakthrough player. Generally, you want guys that are younger. Who's your favorite stash upside wide receiver this year josh like you said like we we did with the running backs late i'm gonna give you two options just i don't want people to get anxious feel pigeonholed or if they hate one of the names it's like cool here's another marvin mims Jaden reed both have round two draft capital both were productive from an early age in college both should be able to command a decent amount of targets in the nfl marvin mims is a small speedy and like surprisingly high volume field stretcher he pairs well with Russell Wilson's deep ball and skill set. I think of Marvin Mims because people are like, what's the upside? He's a little small, but he's so fast. And he was weirdly good in college, even from freshman year onward. I think of him a little bit like Deshaun Jackson in terms of potential fantasy upside, where it's the small, speedy downfield receiver who actually commands a lot of targets. I think there's a chance he actually surpasses Cortland Sutton and then is the number two target earner behind Judy by midseason. With Jaden Reed, I think of him potentially like the next Deontay Johnson. He's now on the Packers. And with Jaden Reed, same size as Deontay Johnson, about 5'10", 180. Both were very productive in college. And more importantly, both were elite special teams contributors. They were unbelievable returning kicks. And that shows that they're tough to bring down after the catch. And I like that in a high-volume receiver, if they're also good after the catch. Christian Watson doesn't really profile as a super high volume wide receiver. I think there's a chance Reed has a close to the same amount of targets per game down the stretch as Christian Watson. And if Jordan Love ends up being competent, then Reed could actually break out and be an every week fantasy starter by mid season. Yeah, another thing I'll tack on for Reed here is 
fantasy championships, at least the vast majority of them were played in week 17, and the Packers get the Vikings in week 17. Mac Jones lit him up for 382 yards on Thanksgiving night. Daniel Jones lit him up for 300 yards twice last year. So that's a pretty high upside matchup for a receiver that could be carving out a bigger role in the offense later in the season. Now, Josh, your rankings will be up on the site later today. Your cheat sheet will be up for free up on up on the 33rdteam.com later today. You'll have some strategy articles hitting the site soon to help you navigate your rankings more effectively. My win-loss projections for every division will finish up tomorrow with the AFC West. The other seven divisions are all up on the site now. As we mentioned before, did a podcast in the NFC on Monday, podcast in the AFC on uh, AFC yesterday. Cranked all of those out in less than two hours total. Now, I'm an awards market guy. I mentioned the Amon Ross St. Brown bet. I think there's another bet that if you wanna, if you wanna, if if you like deep, deep, deep long shots, you know, you want to put a hundred bucks on something and maybe go on a vacation with it if it hits. I'm Bradley ready. Bradley Chubb is a Miami Dolphin, edge rusher, former fifth overall pick. You can get him at a hundred to one in the defensive player in the year race. I'm not sure he wins it exactly, but I could see him finishing in the top 10 in sacks pretty easily. All that will take is another three or four from there if you're around 10 to reach the top. The Dolphins are a contending team. They're an interesting team. Vic Fangio's in town, so the defense will be better. I think he should be more around 30 to 1. 100 to 1 is quite a value there. Now, Josh, we're going to close out our ranking show here. Give us one player you haven't discussed yet that you want to leave every draft with. So before I do that, reminder, everyone, Ryan is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter and everything he mentioned that's on the site, the podcast, et cetera, they're all free for the 2023 season. Now, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about one final player. This tight end had at least 90 receptions and 1,145 yards. Wow. In both 2019 and 2020 injuries affected his 2021 and 2022 seasons. He was still pretty good when healthy. But the overall uh, total numbers aren't impressive because of the injuries. His fantasy points per game in those 2019 and 2020 seasons would have been the tight end two behind Travis Kelsey last year, both those seasons. After Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, if I'm looking for the clear number one target option at for a tight end in a competent offense, there's only one other player that is going to be the clear number one in a decent offense. The offense he went to was above average in scoring last year. Again, above average scoring offense that now injects a very fun tight end. So they should probably score more points this year. This player often falls to round seven or round eight. It's it's tragic. He probably should be a fifth round <laughs> pick. I'm happy to rescue him in the sixth or seventh round of fantasy drafts due to his profile and situation. I'm talking about New York Giants tight end Darren Waller. 